Would you pray with me before, before we start and hear from the Word of God? God, I thank you for my brother Ephron, and, and uh, Lord, we're, we're about to hear a message that uh, comes from you and the, and the truth of, of love, uh, love of the Father. Lord, I pray that, that, we, would be, that we would have open hearts and open minds. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, give Ephron your words uh, from your spirit. Uh, Lord, we trust you. Uh, we lean on you this morning. Uh, God, we love you, uh, and we thank you so much for this opportunity to, to sit in this place as brothers and sisters of Christ uh, and, and hear from your word and your truth in your son's name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, in case you don't know, my name's Efren. I'm the student, student pastor here and uh, at Discover Christian Church. And as we get started, um, here's a topic that is, is really hard to deal with. And as I was trying to prepare for this sermon, um, it, it's been difficult. It's been really difficult preparing because it's, it, when you want to start a sermon, this is what you get taught in Bible college, that you got to have that hook. You got to have some joke, some cute story or something, something to bring people in. And with what we're going to be talking about today, it's really difficult to do that. And so I figured it'd just be a lot easier just to be honest with you and let you know the struggle it's been to try to get this going. And, um, so we're going to just try to d- dig into this and, and see what God has to say for us, and hopefully um, everything that is said will uh, we'll just bring honor and glory to Him, because that's why we're here, amen? So um, this is just something I just want to continue to wrap in prayer, so if you don't mind, praying once again with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much just... For this opportunity that we have to meet together with our family to worship you. Thank you for the, this, the privilege that we have to come before your throne and be able to speak to you about all things and we can come to you without fear. Thank you so much, Lord, just for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, I just pray beg, actually, (laughs) that everything that I speak comes from you. Lord, please don't let it be my words. Lord, I beg of you, don't let it be mine. Just let it be yours. Let your word speak the loudest. Lord, just please be with the congregation, just this family that we have. As we walk through this, as there will be times of of uncertainty and just uncomfortableness. And just please, Lord, just continue to just fill this place with your spirit and your presence. And just let us be able to handle this topic with grace and love, but also with truth. In your name I pray. Amen. So as we continue through, I think we need to set some groundwork first. Uh, we need to set some groundwork before we start tackling topics of this time that, we, that is going to be difficult to talk through. And, and this groundwork that I want to set first uh, is something that a lot of times as a church we don't really think too much about. Um, not necessarily that we don't care about it or don't think it's true. It's just something that we don't really delve into too deeply. Uh, we say about it about ourselves. We say about it 
about other people at times, but it's usually when we need to like encourage ourselves or encourage someone else. We need to, we need to say this. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some verses, and, and you're going to be able to catch it. It's going to be obvious uh, what it is, the foundation that we're going to be working from. And as I work through uh, the sermon today, uh, I just want to go ahead and tell you, we're going to be working through a lot of verses. And it's probably going to be really hard for you to keep up and flip back and forth to what I'm doing. I mean, I, I'm cheating. I have tabs. So it's going, to be, it's going to be easier for me. So on the back of your bulletin, it's blank. So if you just want to write down the references to all these verses and go back and, and read through it, maybe read through those chapters and uh, just understand what's going on more there and just be able to meditate on it, um, please do that. And that's what I encourage you to do. But um, to begin, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26 and 27 this is the first of, of three verses coming. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and on every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood... By man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. And then flipping all the way to the New Testament over to the end, uh, just to get a New Testament perspective, we have James chapter 3, verse 9. And James here, just so you know, when it talks about with it, he's talking about the tongue, our tongue. He says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. So I'm sure you caught on. The foundation I want to work from is the idea that we're all created in the image of God. And if we truly understand what's happening here, this idea of being created in his image, then it really should change not only how we view ourselves, but how we view other people, how we talk to other people, how we deal with other people. All these things, I mean, it should completely change because if we look at people like, man, that is someone who's created in the image of God, it changes everything about our interactions with each other and with others. And we definitely see this idea in James chapter 3. And to give you more context on this verse, um, James is dealing with the church as having a hard time showing favoritism. Uh, they're, do I mean, they're doing a good job of it. They're having a hard time not showing favoritism. And, and what they're doing is they're showing favoritism to people who are rich only. And the reason why they're doing this is because they're thinking, man, if, if, if this rich person is, likes me and I show them favor, maybe they can help me get a job or help me move up in my social standings. It, the only way they're looking at it is the rich person is going to give me some benefit, but then they're ignoring the poor. They're pushing the poor aside, and what they're doing is essentially, you can do nothing for me, so I'm, even, I'm not even going to spend time with you. I have no time for you. And so James is combating this that is happening in the church, and then this is where he's talking about how we treat others and how we show our faith, and then he's talking about the tongue and how we got to bridle it and control it, especially when dealing with people, and then what he says, when he says that with it, we bless our Lord, our Father, and with it, we curse men, he's talking about how the, the church at this time, they're coming to church, they're worshiping, they're blessing God, and, and, they're, and they're having a good time doing church, but then they're cursing men. Now, this could be literally cussing them out, or this could be calling a curse or hoping bad things to come upon them. And this should not be why. Why does James say this? Because they're made in the image of God. 
They're no different than the rest of us. We shouldn't be treating people and putting them in such a low position like, I have no time for you. You're not important. Because everyone is made in the image of God. This is why he says this should not be. Now, as we continue through, I mean, this is, this is the idea of what's happening right now in, in our culture. Our culture is saying that there are lives that don't matter. That there are lives that, you know what, we should even worry about spending our time on. We can make our own decisions to whatever's comfortable for us and whatever benefits us. And, when, what, the, and what happens is, is the church, we start to, okay, well, maybe, or maybe we decide this is just political issues, I shouldn't get involved, and, and we start to push back and just kind of think that, uh, well, maybe if we do a few things, that'll be enough. And the thing is right now, I mean, our culture right now says that lives that look like this don't matter. Now, I'm, I'm, there's going to be some generalizations that I want to be talking about and and there are things that, that it may not necessarily that you think pertain to you or, or, or whatever, because maybe I'm going to be speaking, you're like, yeah, right on. But as a whole, our culture is like, no big deal. And as we all know, this, this turns into this. Maybe. Oh, there it is. And we, by now, I'm sure we all know where this is going. And this is something that essentially that if that first picture doesn't matter, then essentially that picture doesn't matter. And, and what, what happens is how do we know? I mean, what will you be thinking, okay, these are kind of bold statements. What are we doing about this? And the thing is, if we look at some statistics, statistics, words, um, here are the statistics for abortion. It says 42 million abortions happen every single year. If we break that down, that's 115,000 abortions a day. Now, we hear those statistics sometimes in church, and we're like, I'm appalled. And, and, this, is, and this is true. We, we should be. But what's crazy is our culture doesn't think the same thing. Because our culture will actually say there were two other acts in history that were pure evil. And that were just despicable. And how could this have ever happened? And that's the Holocaust, and that's what Stalin did. Uh, and we know about these things. We study this in history. So let's just look at those numbers. With the Holocaust, 6 million were murdered. With Stalin, 40 million. In two years with abortions, that just, that's, that's been eclipsed. So culture will say one thing, like those things are evil, but we won't say abortion's evil as a culture. And then, and so when we, when we think about that, it is, kind of like, whoa, let's, let's just take a moment to process this. And please do. While you take a moment to kind of process these numbers, I want to uh, stop right here and just kind of say, or say, if you're here today and you've had an abortion or you've encouraged a family member, whether it was your child or, or, or someone else, a grandchild, or maybe you were the boyfriend that encouraged it or friends that encouraged it, I, I promise you this, this topic, that what we're going to talk about today isn't directed to you personally. I'm not saying you are a horrible person. That is not what is happening. This idea is about the church's response. But what I do hope is that, that as we talk about that, that you hang in there with me because I have some great news for you later. 
and, and it's a, the, the news of grace, and we get to talk about that a little bit more because, honestly, just because you did that, you're no different from me. I have my own things that I deal with, and I had the same grace, so we're going to be talking about that. So hang in there with me. But this is, again, about the church's response. What, the, what does the church need to do about this? And, and we're going to be dealing with that and another issue that ties very closely with it. So as we continue on, when we think about those numbers, honestly to me it just seems like if all the church's response is going to be is a Sanctity of Life Sunday and, and just protesting out in Planned Parenthood and that's it, something tells me there's, that's not exactly what God had intended for the church to do as a response. And this is one thing that it's not like I'm just saying if having those things are bad, they're not. I mean, yeah, they, you can do it, but there's, there's more to it. And, and I want to be able to, uh, to dig into that. But the question is, what does the church do? How do we respond? Because this is the toughest question because we deal with what we're getting taught in our culture, in our schools, and we just kind of want to know, well, what is the church supposed to do? I mean, is it really that big a deal? Is it, does God really care what's happening inside the womb? But I think that might not be the right question. I think the question that should be asked is, is that baby in the womb a person that is made in the image of God? And we're going to look at some verses here that is going to give us some insight about what's happening in the womb and see, does God really care and, and is this actually a person? And we're going to start in Psalms chapter 22. Chapter 22. And this is going to be in verses 9 and 10. And this is David talking, Yet you who are, you who are he brought me forth from the womb, you made me trust when upon my mother's breast, upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. The next two verses we're going to be in Job. First one's going to be Job 10, verses 8 through 11. It says, Your hands fashioned me and made me altogether, and would you destroy me? Remember now that you have made me as clay, and would you turn me into dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews. Job chapter 31, and this is Job continuing to talk about God and what he has done. Verse 31, verse 15. Did not he who made me in the womb make him in the same way fashion us in the womb? See, here in these verses, we are getting the idea that, that David and Job have this understanding that, that God took time on forming me in the womb. I mean, Job even talks about knitted, knitted. I mean, that takes time. That takes, that takes patience and, and intention that he is knitting, forming me in the womb. And we have the same idea for us today that God is knitting. He is forming. He is taking his time creating someone who is in his image. So as we continue looking through this, it's like when we look at that, it's, is, is God really forming? Yes, he's forming. He's creating another person. Because what we need to remember is that is the question. Is the baby a person or a fetus? And when we look at some of these scriptures, we see that God is creating a specific person. And so if we have this picture and, and this mindset, and we truly believe that, 
that God himself is creating his baby, the church's response should be a little bit more than protest. It should be a little bit more than having one dedicated Sunday. It should be something that, that we're starting to want to take action, but by living it out and by helping people. Now, some of you today, you might be thinking, some of this stuff I already know. I'm right there with you. But the fact of the matter is there are some who may think, yeah, I'm with you, but there might be some exceptions. And, and those exceptions of, I mean, I can understand if a woman, you know, gets pregnant on her own, and, and that, was, that was where her choice was, I'm with you, but what if it wasn't her choice? What if she was raped? What if it was incest? I mean, can't we say at least at that point we can have some grace and say, okay, that it's fine to abort the baby? And what's hard about that question is that, is that it kind of brings up other questions like, uh, that like, well, if the child was born and we found out it was a product of rape, would we still kill the baby once it's born? I mean, of course not. It wouldn't change once it's out, so why should it change once it's in? And these are difficult questions to work through and difficult things to think of, but, and, and I can't even imagine being that woman. I can't. I, I, I can't even pretend. And I, and I don't want to come across as, as, as heartless, I, I, I promise you. But the thing is, we have to put our feelings aside and let God speak and see from a biblical perspective. I mean, if we're people of the Word, we have to let the Word speak and, and see what the Word has to say. So it goes back to the same question. Even through this horrific act, is that child still a person? Because if it is, then there, there's something that Moses said in Deuteronomy that will still uphold. It's Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. And he's given some laws and guidelines for people to live with. And it says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. So you see, we, we, can't, we can't try to, and I understand, we come from a position where we're trying to show love and grace, and I understand, but, but again, when we see what Moses is saying, do we really, do we really put to death and, and punish a child for a father's sin? I mean, I don't have to answer for anyone's sins here. I have to answer for mine. The same with you. None of you have to answer for my sins. We all have our own sins that we're going to have to answer for. So if we're thinking that this, this baby, regardless of the circumstances, is a person, it still should shift on how we look at it and how we approach it. But maybe some of you might be thinking, but, but Ephraim, how in the world could this ever any good come from this? Why would God even want to work through this child? Would God work through this child? And the next couple of verses that I want us to look at, and we see verses of, of prophets and the Apostle Paul. And, and some of these prophets weren't the best. They didn't obey God. And, uh, and, and Paul, we know about Paul. He did horrific things. And God still used him. And, and what they have to say about, about this idea of even in the womb, would God still want to work with this child? 
First one is Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, a prophet Isaiah speaking. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. We go over to uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Here's uh, Jeremiah talking. and oh, Not Jeremiah talking. God is talking to Jeremiah. And this is the start of the book. And this is what God says to him. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet before the nations. So even Jeremiah, even before he was conceived, God's like, I got a plan. I got a plan for you. Isaiah is saying, from the womb, God had already set me apart. He already had a plan. Well, let's get to Paul, the writer of Galatians. And, and this man who did horrible things, he, he beat Christians. He imprisoned Christians. He made a career of oppressing and persecuting Christians. This is what he was known for. He was, he was the guy that was standing there while the people were stoning Stephen. And the scriptures say in Acts saying that he was there giving his approval of it. He was okay with them killing Stephen because he was proclaiming Christ. Talk about evil things. But this is what he has to say. Chapter 1, verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Set him apart, even from the womb. And because of Paul is why we're here today. He was the one to preach to us, the Gentiles, peoples who aren't Jews. That was his job. That's what, that's what God had set him apart for. And he's saying this happened way before I even knew what was going on. So we see as, as we continue to talk through this idea, it's, it, we see that, that God is very involved about what's happening in the womb. He cares very much about it. He is the one crafting it. He is the one who is setting people apart. He has a plan for every single person to, to carry out his gospel to the world. And this is God. He wants to work through every single one of us, no matter the situation. And the thing is, when we think about this, it's like, man, this might seem like a stretch, but there's a verse that we all use all the time. We use it when we need to encourage ourselves. We use it to encourage others. And as we should, let's continue to use it in that way. But even when, in this situation, all the more reason to use it. It's Romans 8, 28. And in it, most of you can probably quote it. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So God can work all things, all things. It doesn't matter, all things. Everything that God has created, he controls. He is the author of all of it. He is our big creator. All things, he can work it together for his good. This is a verse that we need to apply much more than just ourselves or if someone is struggling because he lost their job or something. Yes, we need to continue to use it, the verse in those contexts, but continue to use it. This is a verse that is for everyone. God can work all things for the good. And especially if you call yourself a Christian, of course God is going to work for the good for you. And the thing is, if we try, try to step back and try to take some exceptions because we don't want to deal with the tough topics, unfortunately, by default, what we're saying is maybe God can't fix this. 
But I'm sure everyone here does not agree with that. I'm sure we all agree that God can fix anything. That is why we're here, because he fixed us. He is currently fixing us. And the thing is, what I talked to you about before, about how, about how there's grace coming to those people who you may have had an abortion or have encouraged someone or put, try to get someone to do that because it might have been an inconvenience. This verse is for you. Maybe you did it before you were a Christian, and now you're a Christian, and you feel guilt, and maybe you felt guilt before you were a Christian, but this verse is for you. God can still use you. He can still forgive you. That is why we have the church, and as a church, we are to walk alongside these people and help them, and help them see how they can continue to do good in the name of the Lord. They may think, well, how? how? How can we do that? Well, you know, we have a booth out there with PDHC, the Pregnancy Decision Health Center. I'm sure they would love to have people who have gone through this process and, and maybe feel guilt but want to give their story to help save lives. Come give your testimony to these women that are thinking about it and tell them about your personal life and then what happened to you and then maybe you can save a life. Maybe you can be the one to bring them through it. A lot of times we don't think about stuff like that because we are so stuck in our guilt and our shame. But the thing is, you're not alone. You're not alone. I mean, if you look at the statistics, 42 million abortions a year, you're not alone. And that's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants us to think that we're alone. No matter what our sin is, he wants to keep us apart, keep us away from the church, and keep us away from people because he doesn't want lives saved. He wants lives destroyed. So that's how God can use us. That's how God can use the church. Because the thing is, as a church, you know, I want to add on top of this. I know we've been talking specifically about babies and the abortions, but I want to add to this. It's not just the babies, it's the mothers. We need to come alongside these mothers because honestly, the majority of the time when, when they're going through this and they're thinking about abortion, maybe they're living with a boyfriend and he left because she won't have it. Maybe it's the parents putting pressure upon them to say, if you have this baby, you're not living under my roof. Or a grandparent, or maybe it's friends sticking in their heads that if you do this, you won't finish high school or you won't finish college. It's going to ruin your life. And you have all this negativity, all these people telling them what's going to happen if you had this baby. They get so low. They get so low and so depressed, and they think, I have no other choice. And I'm sure there's many of us here today that, that maybe on the inside you're just screaming, of course you have a choice, and you have a God that loves you, and there's, and there's redemption, and you can, we can work through this with you. But maybe part of the problem is, is we do say those things, but we never go beyond that to do something about it. Maybe the problem is, is as we are talking to these people or maybe just talking about the topic, we, we say these things and, and we tell these women you shouldn't have an abortion, but then we're not the one stepping up to say, hey, why don't you give your baby up for adoption? Hey, better yet, I'll take the baby. Or if you keep the baby and you want to keep it, hey, I'll open up my home. Or maybe connect them with somebody 
that was willing to do that. Someone that you know that is like, man, I've been waiting to adopt a baby. Or someone that you know that, is, that wants to open their home because they want to help these women through it. And the, and the things that go on and on, and it just, there's other ways to help them instead of just saying, don't do that. If we're a church, we're in the business of saving lives. Not only the lives of the babies, but the lives of the mothers. Because there's a lot that they're going through emotionally and mentally. It's, it's just pressing down on them, and we have to walk alongside them through this process. Really, Be willing to give up of our lives and our time to be able to help these women. Because they need to see the love of God just as much as we do. They need to see that there's a Father in heaven that loves her and her baby and that created both of them in the image of God. But they're never going to see it if we as a church don't step up and are willing to do that for these people, for these women, for these children. We have to actually do something about it. And with this mentality, if we go to James, James chapter 1, and James is just chock full of good stuff. And we're going to kind of Camp out here, but in James chapter 1, you already kind of know the context of what's happening here. And James chapter 1 tells us kind of what the next step is beyond telling people not to abort their child. Chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows and remain unstained by the world. You see, if we're going to be telling people they shouldn't abort their child, we need to be the ones on the front lines, first ones ready as a church to say, I'm going to spend time with this child. I'm going to spend time with the mother. And this idea of visit isn't just, hey, how's it going? Is everything okay? Need me to pick you up anything? It's beyond that. It's a lifestyle. And to talk about this, I've asked uh, one of our students, Joe Tater, to come up here. And um, because he really does give the more practical application of what it looks like to visit orphans and widows. So uh, if you can give Joe a hand for coming up here and being willing to talk with us. Um. So Joe, just a little background, uh, he was the baby of the family. <laughs> and, um, and then his parents made decisions to start fostering and adoption, and, and he's going to tell you more about it. And uh, it rocked his world. <laughs> so Joe, if you go ahead and, and kind of tell everyone here today, what were your like, initial thoughts or feelings of when your parents first talked to you about this and let you know this was going to be happening? Well, it really started back when I was in eighth grade. We were going to host a girl from Haiti named Nadine. She needed immediate, immediate medical treatment. And uh, with her, I was, like, really anxious because, like, she didn't speak any English. So mm -hmm. it was going to be really hard to communicate with her. But as the day was approaching, like, I was getting more and more excited to be, like, a part of her getting better and getting the help that she needed. Mm -hmm. And, like, just really excited to meet her. So once we started the fostering process, it was a pretty easy transition, like, it was just like we took a little bit of a break, and then we just came back to it. Mm -hmm. So I was really excited to get back to the fostering process and meet new kids and be a part of their lives. That's awesome. Um, is there, uh, what were, when things got started, like what were, were there any struggles or th good things that you've learned or anything like that? 
Well, all the kids that came through, they were all like just really joyful kids, just really happy to be with us and like talk with us. But probably the hardest thing for me, our first placement, she was only with us for about a week. And uh, when she left, it was like real sudden. I wasn't home when it happened. So I just came home one day and she wasn't there. So mm -hmm. I never got to like say goodbye to her or anything. So mm -hmm. that was just really hard on me. Yeah, so it was just kind of like a, you were gone and come back and she was gone. You just took her out. Yeah, most of the time it's not like that. You have more of a transition, but with that certain case, it was just that sudden. Right. Um, so as you went through this process with your parents and, um, and seeing that, have you seen yourself grow at all through this time? Or, like, how has it changed you? Uh, I've matured a lot. Like, like you said, I was the baby of the family, so now I'm a big brother now. So I had to learn how to be a big brother really fast. And... Uh, when we first got Nathan, uh, I was really mad at my mom because she told, like, we, our original plan as a family was to take no kids uh, under five, mm -hmm. and he was a 14-day-old baby. <laughs> so I just got a text from my dad saying we were going to have a 14-day-old baby coming, and we didn't really talk about it beforehand, so I was just really upset about that. But now I realize how selfish that was of me to think that way, because mm -hmm. nobody wants to take care of a sick baby. <clears throat> and uh, my mom just made the split decision to do it. Mm -hmm. And now we're really blessed to have him. I can't imagine it any other way. Mm -hmm. and, and with these experiences we kind of talked about today, is there anything you, know, you want to say to your brothers and sisters here uh, about the experience? Is there something, there's one thing or whatever that you would like for them to know. Uh, being in foster care, it's not just like throwing money at a problem and hoping it goes away. It's like being part of the solution and living out the mission that God set forth. Hmm. Praise him. And can you thank Joe for being up here and um, being able to give us a little bit of insight. And, um, and I have Joe up here because I just wanted uh, for you guys to see a family, and especially this perspective as being uh, the baby of the family, of, of what it looks like to actually be a part of of this, of this mission, as Joe has put it. Uh, I'm going to pray for Joe, and then we'll uh, wrap up here. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Joe and his willingness to come talk and, and share his heart with, uh, with the church here, and, and just thank you for uh, growing him through this process, and even though it was difficult at times, that uh, he was still able to see how you were working and, and the positive of it and how he has grown through it, and, and he has had the example of what it means to be the mission. Thank you so much, Lord, for his heart and the Tata family and what they're doing. It's your name I pray. Amen. So, pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit widows and orphans. And when we look at this in, in the context of, of Scripture and, and what it really meant to them at that time, again, visit wasn't just saying, hi, do you need anything? Visit orphans and widows meant meeting their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. They have needs, and the church is to step up and take care of it. This is what James is telling the church. If you want pure and undefiled religion, take care of widows and orphans. Meet their needs. And then the last part of that, in, in some translations, says, and remain unstained from the world. And you kind of think that those are two separate ideas, but they're not. Pure and undefiled religion is to visit widows and orphans. And by visiting widows and orphans, you will be unstained by the world. It's actually a promise because we are so focused on the people who need Christ the most that we're not going to have time for other things. And 
And as we continue to think about this, I mean, I love how Joe says it, be a part of the mission. Be a part of it. And there's a way when I was talking to Joe and just preparing for today, you know, he told me one thing that people don't, don't understand is that there's other ways for us to help people. You know, all too oftentimes we think I have to adopt somebody or I have to be a foster parent. Joe says, honestly, what fo- some foster parents need are people who are willing to get background checked and get approved so they can help the foster parent. So the foster parent wants to go on vacation or want to go on a date night. You can take, you can take the child for the night or, or for the week and, and you can help them get refreshed so they can continue to pour into the children that they have. You know, that's one example that it gave me. And there are other examples that, that you can do, and I'm going to let those examples come from the, the three organizations that are represented. Uh, again, PDHC, uh, Pregnancy Decision Health Center, CCHO, Christian Children's Home of Ohio, and the Bear Foundation. You know, these are Christian foster and adoption agencies. I'm sure they have plenty of ways that we as a church, we can get involved and we can help. We can help the mothers of women who are thinking about abortion, and we can help, we can help orphans, we can help, we can help widows, we can help women who are struggling because they're raising their child on their own, and, and they, need, they need someone to step into their kids' lives and help raise them. Because honestly, if we think about it, how can a child ever get, grasp the concept of a heavenly father if there's no physical presence of a father figure or mother figure? A kid is never going to be able to understand that. Like, why would a God in heaven ever love me? No one on earth loves me. That's where the church comes in. We need to show them the same love that we received, the same grace that we received. We need to share that grace and tear that grace out and just give it to everyone that we can. Then this concept, give it to the women, give it to the kids, give it to them. Just give them everything they can handle because that is why Christ put us here, to keep spreading the gospel, to keep spreading his love, and to be the church that's in the business of saving lives.